All right, hey folks, and welcome back to the 747 podcast, 747 Conversations. Your host, Chris Shembra. I'm on the line with a dear friend, Corey Blake, a wonderful entrepreneur and leader in the conscious capitalism movement with a specificity on the power of vulnerability. We're going to dive into that today. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Now, I want to dive back. Um, before we get started, I always ask the same question at the beginning. If you could give credit or thanks to one person from your childhood or from the Milken Institute, uh, Milken University, that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Well, uh, you mentioned Milliken, and um, I, I believe that I had my very best professor, um, best mentor, for the work that I do now uh, at Milliken, and he was not in my course of study. His name was Dr. Graham Provan, and he taught uh, uh, specific history, like uh, World War II history I took with him. And everyone else in the class would complain about this guy because he was so brutally tough. But I found that he, my belief was he loved his students uh, with such abandon and held us to accountability like no other teacher I'd ever met, that I felt like that was a form of being loved by a, by a teacher. So he's who comes to mind when you ask that question. So there, there's a line, and, and I want to I reference your, your theater background. There's a line in one of our plays uh, that says, you know what causes juvenile delinquency, don't you? It's the parents. It takes an uncaring parent to create a juvenile delinquent. So are you mm. essentially affirming that uh, with discipline, with safety and structure comes, um, d- does it come uh, loyalty and safety and trust? Is that what you're implying? Well, what's coming up for me as you, as you ask that is, is a belief that I, I guess, discovered in that class that when I am when I am held accountable, uh, if I am being lazy or not upholding my end of the bargain, I'm going to get called on it. I can, I can view that as unsafe if I'm not showing up to my potential, or if I am showing up to my potential, um, it's, a, it's a call to a higher standard, in which case I think it can be beautifully safe. So the original safe spaces that you were involved in coming out of university – uh, was getting your your theater degree and uh, becoming a, a professional voiceover actor and storyteller and documentary filmmaker. Tell me about that chapter in your life and 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 how that impacted your view of connectivity. Well, at uh, at the university that I studied at Milliken, uh, we studied the Stanislavski method of acting which uh, in my experience was very much about how do we take a scene from a play and break it in a, a part in a way where we can easily reconstruct it every night for a performance. And when I left that part of my life and moved on, uh, eventually arriving in LA and starting to work as an actor in Los Angeles, I studied the Meisner methodology of acting, which very much uh, uh, strips away language and uh, and is much more focused around the present moment in which I learned uh, how to ride the kind of the crest or the edge of a wave with another human being in connection. And that was uh, a pretty profound shift for me. And I certainly use that uh, those lessons and that capability in both the, the deconstruction portion as well as the uh, remaining intensely present portion. I use that in all of the work that I do now today in, in the storytelling that we do. But back then, uh, that those times of life were incredibly formative because there was so much safety to play, particularly at the university that I studied at. Uh, and then when I went out to Los Angeles, there was less safety in the playing uh, as I learned to, to swim in those waters. Uh, and eventually, I, I would actually say it became very unsafe for me in the sense that lessons for me during that time was that LA was bringing out a side of me that was 
desperate enough for success that I lost who I was hmm. and had to actually leave LA in order to to refine myself. So lots of lots of formative stuff during those times. And and when we think of storytelling and uh and we think of what your work now involves which is uh arcing of emotions and vulnerability it brings me to Kurt Vonnegut and Kurt Vonnegut's study of uh you know the the shape of the curve of the narrative arc and how emotions play into the role of storytelling did you come across Kurt Vonnegut's studies when you were studying theater and how does how does uh, the emotional arc of a narrative impact your storytelling now? Uh, I I did not study Vonnegut. Uh, I remember reading him outside of the theater uh, uh, in in English literature classes. But um, but certainly, I, I, the emotional arc is what I am constantly paying attention to in the work that we do today. There's uh, for me the emotional arc exists oftentimes in the gap between language and truth, what I say or what someone says to me or the way someone speaks and the words that they use, there's often a misalignment between the energy that they exude. And when we call that out and explore that space, there is a lot of emotion uh, that gets released um, very much like, to me like a, you know, the destruction of an atom. It can, it can be so explosive emotionally. Um, tapping into that and helping to bring language and truth in alignment with one another is a very emotional process that uh, that we explore often as we're uh, looking at the storytelling arc that you're speaking of. And one of one of the exercises that you exhibited, or one of the studies that you exhibited um, in your in your beautiful TED talk, um, "Vulnerability is Sexy," is you you talk about the concept of leading with love and how when people in relationships um, go from the flirting stage to the big night stage where people go from uh, when they meet someone, they only tell whatever it is that will get the other person to like them to then you actually have them go to the stage where you give somebody the opportunity to reject you. Uh, Can you tell me about that exercise and how that is a metaphor for taking people through the arc of, uh, of language and communication. Hmm. I appreciate the question. Um, first off leading with love was, was developed because I didn't know how to do it, um, or did it very poorly at times. Uh, and I got challenged by a, a colleague of mine to learn how to, how to do that better, or, or we were going to lose some really talented people in our organization. Uh, the, the, the latter, uh, that you're speaking of, I call it the I call it the latter, right? The how we move from flirting to essentially having coffee to then going to dinner, then going on a second date, and eventually having this big night experience. Um, the latter is is the traditional way in which most of us intuitively find what I call our soul family, which might be our our significant other, our spouse, or a best friend that we travel through a lot of life with, even a mentor that we are close with. Um, there's a whole process of courting, and and that's the traditional process that that we use. Unfortunately, we don't apply it very frequently outside of romantic relationships. And so, what happens in all these other relationships is we go through those first, second, third steps of the ladder. And then someone shows us something that is brings up discomfort in us, and we bounce out of the ladder, kind of getting to you know a series of of uh, one night stands in some ways you could say, and never getting further. And my my belief is uh, through the work that we do is that we can flip uh, the ladder upside down, and we can enter from far more vulnerable places. Something that I do in my presentations is within the first 20 to 25 minutes, I take someone through the entire ladder of our work and what we do. And I, and I share with them my own version of each step of the ladder and invite them to have these dramatically emotional experiences to the point where at the end of that 25 minutes, they know more about me than they know about most of the people that they 
surround themselves with in their life. And that creates this immediate knowing within that 25 minutes of if they want to be on the Corey Blake train or if they want to get the hell off of it. <laughs> run, <laughs> run far. Yeah, there's so much value in knowing that quickly as opposed to staying in relationships that are not aligned with us. And we can stay in those for years, for decades or longer, mm-hmm. and they're just not the right fit. So, uh, yeah, so that's the value of the latter. Well, speaking of, of running, you know, one of the things you say is that humans' default is to create distance, uh, yet we're really desperate for connection. So what's that disconnect if vulnerability is so good at uh, – or vulnerability is so good for um, – building better relationships, why aren't people doing more of it? Well, a true connection is, is somewhat terrifying, uh, depending on uh, our level of comfort with, with being seen for who we are at our essence. Uh, and this is a societal right, challenge that we face as human beings. Most, uh, well, all of us to some degree uh, have damage that's that we've experienced in our lives. We each have, I, I think of people as, um, are kind of our, as you could say, purpose as two sides of a coin. There's a side that get, gets most of the light, and there's a side that exists mostly in shadow. And what we project out into the world so frequently is the part that gets the most light. It's the part we're proud of. It's the part that's easy to feel good about. But there's this other side, and the more that we're willing to invite people into the other side, the more that we create connection. Because the light side, the part that is bright and shiny that we project out into the world, actually shows people how we're different from them. It's an attempt to show that we're special. And it creates hierarchy. So people have to then determine where do, where are they in relation to us? Are they further along, not as far along? That's what creates distance. Conversely, by sharing our shadow side, our darker side, we create connection because in our pain, we are the same. That's a huge opportunity, but it's not intuitive. It's not modeled to most of us in our life. It's certainly not something that we easily learn. So it, it's, uh, it's kind of on the newer side of, uh, of this emotional journey for people. And so how do you get people through that? Well, uh, certainly leading by example, um, setting the sp- the space for that kind of connection to occur. So as an example, uh, this presentation that I've been doing recently, after I lead people through the ladder, um, I'll actually do a guided meditation with the room to support them in coming to the one word that, uh, that embodies what they stand for. And then I'll have them write that word on a sticker name tag, put it on their, on their shirt or their jacket, and walk around the room and introduce themselves to one another, not by their name, but by their purpose word, which might be love or magic or destiny or friendship, right? Whatever that one word is. And then we'll explore what's the other side of that coin, which is not to say what's the opposite, right? Like I was raised, I think I told you this in in our pre-call, I was raised in a Jewish household, so I was made to feel special by my mother every day of my youth. So special often comes up as my purpose word. The shadow side of it is not normal or average. It's invisible. So it's not necessarily an opposite, but it's what is the shadow side of that. And then I had people write that somewhere on that name tag. So then throughout the rest of the day, uh, that became a topic of conversation that was safe to share not only what is the light side, but what is, what's the darkness that I carry with me. And in simply having that experience of Uh, it being invited to talk about, suddenly it disempowered uh, some of the the narrative that people carry around that their vulnerability is their weakness, and it actually became this uh, force for positivity, for energy, for excitement. It drew their people to them in a way that, uh, that I think validates that approach to communication and connection. And, and one of the things to piggyback off that, off, um, you know, vulnerability, as you say, being a great equalizer, one of the things that uh, you advocate people need to do um, is to be 100% present in conversation. 
what what's uh, you know what's deterring people from being present in conversation these days? Oh, there's so much chaos in the world. I mean, um, you know, three, four minutes ago, my dog started barking in the background, right? Like, you know, so, so having that moment of being pulled out of my own uh, presence, uh, we all face it in, in different ways throughout the day. Sometimes it's through um, technology. Sometimes it is uh, simply not setting up uh, an undistracted moment. Sometimes it's a uh, partner in another room, uh, or simply, uh, somebody walking by that draws our attention, the ability to simply focus on the person in front of us or the person that we are in the moment with, uh, in my experience, takes a tremendous amount of practice. It's a muscle and it needs to get it, it's, it's workout, but there are everything today is, is a distraction. The, the, you know, the thousand advertisements that, that we will see in any given day or whatever that crazy number is, each of those is actually intended to be a distraction. It's a, the currency of attention that companies are fighting for. So holding that attention and keeping it focused where we want to is not necessarily something that comes easily for most of us. Mm -hmm. So exercising that muscle actually prepares you better to be less distracted in future engagements. Absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking as you're, as you say that, I, I think of the Meisner technique work that I did as an actor, where we would sit in these coffee shops and focus on the other person, and and doing it over and over and over again until it, it, you come to a point. I came to a point where we were the only two people that existed. You know, everyone's had that experience of feeling like everything else melts away. Getting into that space and learning how to get into that space within a moment, that simply comes through practice. Hmm. But it's available, I think, to anyone. And so, and so the ROI of vulnerability is, is what you've based an entire business around through storytelling, uh, through your publishing imprints. You know, how good for business is being vulnerable? Some people may hear this and say, well, I can't be vulnerable with a client that I'm, you know, I'm not serving them to the best of their abilities. How do I tell that to a client? What would you say to that? Um, look, through, through open and honest conversation, if, if people are aligned, if you're working with people who are a part of uh, pulling you into a more evolved future and you're a part of pulling them into that more evolved future, that's a different conversation than have, trying to have a vulnerable conversation with someone that, that one is not aligned with. Um, it is, I recognize that, that for many people, the idea of vulnerability in business is tricky. Um, I'm in a world now that I, you could say to some degree intentionally structured so that it allows for a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Um, we have worked to kind of rebrand our company many years ago so that we chase away people who are not right for us. And we really draw to us people who, uh, see the world at least somewhat similarly to how we do. And so that creates a lot of safety in our entire ecosystem for people to explore that vulnerability. But the edge that I'm very excited about and that we've been exploring lately is about how we can utilize vulnerability to help people within the business to feel more whole, to, uh, to not feel the need to hide that shadow piece or pretend it doesn't exist because when they do, they're simply a less powerful version of themselves. When I help someone to own who they are in their totality, they become more powerful within our business. And when we do that with groups of people, the amount of ownership that people take, the amount of accountability that skyrockets, their capability because now they're willing to take far more risks within the business on behalf of everything we're doing together, all of that elevates what we're doing together at such an exceptional level. That's where the true ROI is. But there also has to be a willingness to go through the discomfort, to uh, interface with one another in new ways, to learn to hear each other differently, which creates all kinds of opportunity for miscommunication, discomfort. So it, it takes a, a group of people and certainly a leader who is willing to step into leading by example in that way and someone who has gone through a fair amount of personal development work so they have enough of a tool set to rely on as things become uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, um, the, the world 
the business world seems to be uh, reacting positively, slowly, to uh, this new scientific data that supports that human connection is created by, as you say, uh, revealing your shadow selves. And now you're starting to work with uh, many entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors um, about publishing content about this through your, your new publishing imprint about conscious capitalism. Walk me through uh, you know, that publishing side of your business and even the, the conscious contracts that were behind how you got there. Sure. Well, uh, in our business for, for many years now, uh, the, helping people write the book they were born to write has been our, our focus or at least uh, a significant portion of our business. It's still about 50% of our revenue now. Um, but helping people write the book they're born to write is a very different experience than helping someone to package information or knowledge that they have obtained throughout their life. Um, my belief is that when I package the information that I've learned, what I do is I actually trap myself exactly where I am today because anyone reading that book who then is going to come to me to want to hire our business, they need me to be the version that I was when I wrote that book. So people get into that, uh, walk down that path without necessarily realizing that they're in many ways holding themselves back as a result of, of offering that book. I'm a much bigger believer in writing the book that shares with you the moments in my life that have uh, defined my philosophy and how I live today, the origin stories of the hero's journey that I've been on, so that you can read those stories and feel like you're in the room in the moment when they each occurred in a vulnerable way so that you can come to the realization as the reader that I have universally been prepared for what I'm doing now. That's a different kind of book. That's the kind of book that, that we focus on as an organization. And through the process of creating those books, um, those are very much, you could say, those are the big night. Those are the books that someone wants to curl up in bed with, will sit and read at a straight sitting. It's 10 o'clock at night and they're just starting the book and they'll read through until 3, 4 in the morning, even though they got to be up at work at 9. And when they're finished and they close that book, they'll feel like something occurred that changed them, deeply changed them. That's the kind of books that, that we're excited to write. And we've been doing that for a number of years. And now we are partnering with Conscious Capitalism to help support that community. There's so much intellectual property in that community. There's so much wisdom in that community. And we want to put it all under a single umbrella and help to create the kind of content that people within this community and who are attracted to this community are desperate for. How do I create a conscious business? What does that even mean? What is What are all the elements of it? How do I consciously market? How do I consciously um, sell? How do I consciously um, lead my culture? And one of the avenues that's relatively new, um, developed by a woman named Linda Alvarez, and uh, and I heard of it through a gentleman named Glenn Meyer, is conscious law. Uh, how are we approaching our agreements in a way that is highly conscious and supports a winning stakeholder model as opposed to the way most organizations structure their agreements, which is that if there's a problem, I want to win, which means you have to lose. Totally different way of, of coming at these kinds of agreements that protects the relationship and helps uh, the organizations to prevent the loss of relationship if it, there comes a time where the contract needs to end or the, uh, that portion of the relationship needs to end. So when we got together with Conscious Capitalism and started talking about this imprint together, um, there was this wonderful guilt of hypocrisy if we didn't engage in a conscious agreement <laughs> that uh, that would be out of alignment with ourselves. And so we we hired Glenn and and he came in and walked us through. And it took longer than any agreement I've worked on. But it was profoundly powerful for our relationship. It helped us understand each other and how we would end up working together. We discussed what was non-negotiable for each of us. What were the expectations? Why were we getting involved in this? And we set up this whole um, aspect of the agreement that, that Glenn refers to as the proprietary justice system, which is a funny <laughs> way of saying that if, if we have a disagreement, here's how we're going to handle it, ideally at the seed stage, while it's still something small, as opposed to letting things 
get to a point where they're becoming, you know, an entire tree that needs to be unearthed and moved because it's causing damage to the foundational structure. Like it's a, so it's, it's a completely different way of looking at this stuff. And that part of our agreement is like four pages, four pages of what are the steps for how we're going to take care of this relationship. If we can't do it ourselves, who are the people we're going to turn to to invite into supporting us and hearing each other? Uh, it's just wonderfully a wonderful approach to uh, to looking at how we're structuring relationships. Interesting. What what would be the 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 um, what would be your goal <clears throat> for this conscious movement? What would you like to see the business world react to what you guys are doing now? Well, overall, I, I feel like there are so many people who are attracted to this movement who who feel a strong uh, sense of their identity is revealed when they find the movement. This feeling of, oh, this is who I am. This is an articulation of something that I have felt for a long time but didn't have the words for. And then they come and, and they become part of the movement because they're looking for ways to amplify that. They're looking to expand whatever it is they were doing intuitively and and do it more formally within the structure of the organization. But that's not easy for folks. There's a lot of different avenues, like this whole conscious law thing. When I was introduced to it, it was a head slapper. I thought, oh my gosh, how are, none of us are talking about this with total, total blind spot. So what we want to do is we want to create more awareness around those blind spots. We want to give people, offer people more of the tools, more of the inspiration to, pers- to pursue this track and help ensure that they are not uh, not solely bottom line driven, but are humanity driven hmm. in the way that they're growing that their businesses. So relationships more than the transaction. Uh, my goodness, I mean, if uh, if we could <laughs> set aside transactional business and do business with people in a way that's transformational for everyone involved, I think we all win. I agree with that. Well, one of the closing lines of your your TED talk. Uh, <clears throat> is that you encourage people to leave that room and say something that makes their voice shake. And I ask you, what would you say right now that would make your voice shake? First off, thanks for dropping the hammer. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, hey, man. This is something that we were just talking about the other day because my presentations, it's really important uh, that I always introduce a vulnerable element. Otherwise, it's rehearsed vulnerability, which is just bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the reality, right? So, um, so what would make my voice shake today? There's something around this. Um, we're, uh, we're adopting a new operating system for our, our business called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And my the, the president of our company, uh, Kristen Westberg, um, has been with me for nine years. She started off doing um, admin work at our company and gradually over time continued to get promoted and and take over more and more responsibility. And yet I never had a playbook to give her. I'm a creative, you know, visionary type, um, a theater degree, no business degree. And, and because of my lack of being able to give her a playbook, um, I feel like I put her at a disadvantage for many years. She's been our president for two and a half, three years. And, um, and when we started engaging in this process, immediately I, I actually said to her out loud, I, I think this is the thing you've always been wanting me to be able to give you, and I never could. And so now she has that playbook. And uh, and I had this moment with her the other day. We were leaving. Our leadership team was all in Florida, and we were about to leave. And and I I got too nervous to say it to her. So I st- it still has to be said, so it'll be said out loud on this podcast before it's said to her directly so i'll need to make sure i say it to her directly before before this goes live but um but i wanted to just finally say uh, you belong here you're safe here Mm. you're not going anywhere Uh, i think i think that that because i haven't been able to give her this playbook and i put her at this disadvantage i think i think the space was has felt unsafe for her unfairly unsafe and um and like she was never quite um, able to fulfill what I was asking of her. And 
and I, I just, I, I want her to know that she's exactly where she's meant to be. And I had such a, I couldn't say it out loud. I don't know what prevented it. Like we're so different. That's why we're a good team. Um, in EOS, it's a visionary and an integrator. And we just, we see the world through a completely different lens and that's the power of that relationship. But it makes me really nervous to say emotional things sometimes to her. Um, and I, and I, and I'm embarrassed that I couldn't, I couldn't spit it out. I tried like three times and every time I chickened out and I don't know what exactly that's about, but I haven't said it aloud to anybody. So that's, that's what I'm sharing with you today. Mm. That I, uh, I, you know, there are plenty of places with vulnerability that I still struggle on a regular basis. And that was one that was really prevalent for me. Well, thank you for that. And I, and I look forward to uh, hearing her reaction to not only this, but your face-to-face conversation so she doesn't have to listen to this on the internet first. The pressure's Absolutely. on. It uh, is, and I'm all flush. I feel really hot in the face. So, uh, so that was an appropriate example. Good, good. Now, what you mentioned at the, at the start of that story was uh, rehearsed vulnerability. Now, you and your presentations have to be vulnerable and I connect with that because at every single one of our dinners in order to uh well we go through the shared activities and the shared conversations and then when we get to the point of the night when we ask them to uh to get vulnerable I have to share a vulnerability first but sometimes I fear that it's uh too rehearsed how, what's a tip or a trick that you can give me and these listeners on how to avoid rehearsed vulnerability? Uh, well, that for me, that has required uh, deeper reflection. So there are parts of my, of my presentations that I share frequently, and those are just not the most vulnerable parts. Um, they become more vulnerable the more present I am with the audience so that I am kind of at the edge of my own story as opposed to ahead of it or behind it. So presence can heighten um, the actual vulnerability. But still, if it's something you've repeated a number of times, um, it's, it's more challenging to, to create um, uh, the urgency of, of discovering it anew. So for me, what I do is, um, is um, either if I go through periods of deeper reflection, at times when I've worked on my book, um, I've come up with new insight. And when I add the new insight, that becomes more vulnerable because it's, it's not rehearsed yet. Um, so sometimes that, that comes across as um, a deeper awareness or an awareness of, oh, I was actually full of crap with that sentence. Like, that's actually not how I feel. So I might catch myself in that gap between language and truth, and then I'll, I'll make a shift. And then suddenly it's more vulnerable to share out loud. Um, another thing that I'm, that I've done recently is, um, I've started opening my talks with, uh, slam poetry. And Mm -hmm. when I started that, that was terrifying. I was so (laughs) frightened to do it. Uh, I used to be an actor, but that was, you know, 20 years ago, almost that I was professionally doing that and memorizing content again and being on stage in front of a large group of people, that, you know, the question of would the magic still be there for me was was really vulnerable. So then I started doing that and then that became comfortable. Right. So now it's uh, actually a question on my plate of what's the next shift within my talks that will bring them bring that vulnerability around again. Hmm. And and last question I have for you, just because I literally dedicate my life to hosting dinners around a round table is how did you how did you come up with your company's name the round table companies well originally um i i started the company informally uh, not as a corporation when i still lived in los angeles and one of the first books that i started working on was an arthurian legend piece that i was hired Ooh. to help a client with and and that was provocative at the time and and my roommate, who now is um, uh, is working over at Amazon on uh, children's content, she's a she was a, a brilliant woman at the time. Her name was Melissa Wolf. She's gotten married since, but she was my roommate at the time, and she actually was the one who named it Writers of the Round Table. Yep. And then over William time, Ch- William Chaucer. Yeah, and then over time, uh, she, uh, uh, we started doing more than writing. We started telling stories across mediums. 
and uh, actually became a limiting name. And so it's still our incorporated name, but we do businesses, roundtable companies that kind of emerged um, in combination from the origin story, but also this recognition that that we conveniently titled the company in such a way that honors the equality of everyone around a circular table. Wow. Beautiful. You, you just did the marketing for me, for my own company. <laughs> Beautiful. Take it, please. <laughs> well, Corey, I, I thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I, uh, you, you are a legend in the vulnerability space as I am walking in this empathy path. And I learned so much from you. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check out roundtablecompanies.com and engage with everything that Corey and and, and the entire team is doing. Um, More of the links to Corey and his TED Talks and his vulnerability wall and vulnerability is sexy will be in the description below. So please check that out. If you have any more questions, comments, or future suggestions of who we should have on this podcast, please email in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friends and subscribe in the link below. I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore, and we'll see you next episode.